right, everyone. We're back. We're smiling. Sons of smiling. Sons of dialing. No, we're not. We're not smiling and dialing. It's the weekend. It's Saturday night. Have we ever recorded a podcast on a Saturday before? On a Saturday night? I don't believe we've done that before. This is groundbreaking territory. Yeah, this is this is new stuff. We got representation all over Virginia, Colorado, California. We got Billy Ray and myself, Pat, uh, coming in from Breckenridge. We got Grayson on the West Coast Coast in Los Angeles. And then we have the Dr. John Cranham coming at you from Chesapeake, Virginia. But first of all, we got to talk about what's going on here. Um, Billy and I had a fun day on the slopes. Billy, talk about your experience. I'll talk about my experience. What's going on? Vail, Colorado. I brought my mini speaker. Um, You know, we had a great pow day. Every time we were in line, I played um, uh, Love Train. That was a huge hit. Everybody, you know, was grooving along to it. Um, So I had a great day. Only one fall ripping through the trees, but um, a solid day at uh, at Vail. Fantastic. And uh, today was a big day for me, I will say. Um, Did Breckenridge all day. You know, we were on that last lift. 19 lifts, uh, 23 and a half thousand feet of vertical. Uh, That's a personal best for the season. So uh, I just I just had to put that in there here. But Grayson, how are you doing, my friend? First off. I'm doing phenomenal. Second off, it's been a hot minute, gentlemen. <laughs> like, I feel like it's, it actually has been a hot minute. Vacation's <laughs> over, boys. Uh, I, I, I swear. I, the last time I recorded with, with you two was before Christmas. So it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back uh, on full tilt. Uh, my weekend has been very, very good thus far. It is raining in L.A. right now. Your prayers are appreciated. We're all doing <laughs> You know, it's it's tough out here, y'all. It's it's real, real tough out here. But it's uh, it really is great to be back, and it's good to talk to you guys for sure. But I would like to take a second to welcome Sons of Smiles. We got John Cranham on the podcast today, boys. Doctor John Cranham here to talk about his new book, The Cornell Effect. And because of that, I wrote a little hokey haiku. Presented by our friends at the Main Street Pharmacy. You know what's good. Go down, see our friend, Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts. He will greet you with a smile. You are a name and not a number down there. They got all your pharmaceuticals. They got all of your COVID-19 needs, all of your hand sanitizer. Here we go with the hokey haiku. Hokey haiku. And I quote, Cran Cam and the Sons, the Cornell effect out now, Sons of Go Read It. Love that. Golf claps, golf claps, <laughs> golf claps. John, how you doing, man? Welcome. Oh, I'm doing great. It's so uh, it's an honor to be on. I didn't know I had to write a freaking book to get on this podcast, but <laughs> I, I'm glad I'm on and I'm excited to talk about it. It's been a heck of a week. It released Tuesday, and been doing a lot of these type of shows and podcasts and Facebook lives. Just fun to talk about. Yes. I'm excited to to share with you about the the book and why we wrote it and all that stuff. Absolutely. And for those of you who may not know, uh, Dr. John Cran, he's a hokey favorite. Fantastic on the Twitter. You got to give him a Twitter follow. Um, a a born again hokey, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, we'll just jump into it right. Wait, here. wait, 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 wait. Oh, are, we, are we just going to completely ignore the fact that he has been a proud sponsor of the Suns? This is for- true. This for the true. last year now, and I was a, I was a, and one of the first, and one of the first listeners, one of the first, one of the first listeners. But it, you know, it was funny because Doctor Cran, you know, 
before uh before we knew him he didn't have a profile picture on twitter he had like that it wasn't the egg though i think it was just like the gray like uh the gray silhouette Uh i was like who is this guy but uh no i am a I guess former is the word former patient, current patient of Dr. Cram. You're my patient forever, brother. You're yeah. Locked <laughs> I'm, You're locked in. I'm locked in. It's not four years. It's for life. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. But yeah, I, I went on down there to the Chesapeake center for a complete dentistry. If you've seen my smile on the, uh, on the interwebs, you know, I, I kind of have a famous uh, set of teeth. No, nah, no, nah, don't, don't, don't bury it. This guy <laughs> has got the best smile on the East coast after seeing JC. He did an unbelievable job, unbelievable job, but, you got to tell the story. So how did you, you have been a follower of my Twitter for a while. And then you came across my, how, how did this, how did this all start? It's, it's almost three, four years ago now. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was extremely new to Twitter. I was kind of checking it out. And I think it was one of the, it was right around the time that we um, went down to Tallahassee and, and, and put a beat down on, on those guys down there. And, Somehow your uh, rant on Twitter uh, <laughs> popped up and it was like one of the first things. And I was sitting at a stoplight when that happened and I almost got into an accident. I was just dot. I was laughing so freaking hard at that rant. And so I followed you. I didn't even know what that was, but I followed you. So anyway, so it all started to happen. Then my daughter, Caitlin was explaining and who you guys were. And then the podcast came and I, I was in there right at the very first one. And then she explained, you know, you have to have a picture. This looks weird. You're, you know, people don't know who you are. They think you're some sort of creepy person. So <laughs> she helped me with, with that. And then I didn't have my last name and you thought my name was John Cran and that's what you keep calling me. So anyway, it was, that is your name. That is, <laughs> your, that is your name in my phone. That, 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 that sticks. That's it's even, there's even historical reference on that where Grayson was ragging me. Well, if you look at his, Twitter, it says Cran, you know, anyway, that's a whole <laughs> Sons of misleading. Sons, <laughs> sons of good memory. And here, and here we are years later and couldn't be happier. Um, first question from us, first and foremost, you have a phenomenal, phenomenal family. Absolutely incredible. Um, have spent some time down at the lake with you. I've gotten the chance to, uh, to meet you, your wonderful wife and uh, your family. Um, just tell us a little bit about how, um, how Cornell became part of the family and what inspired you to tell, to tell the story? Yeah. So it's an, it's a pretty, it's pretty interesting. I, I probably was around y'all's age really when it all started to transpire and Kim and I had gotten married and, and after a year or two, we just started trying to have kids and a couple of years went by and, and nothing, uh, nothing was happening. We were trying really hard, which was a very fun time in my life, but nothing was going on. And, and anyway, we um, end up having, finally getting pregnant after about four years. I was just starting my practice. Kim was an occupational therapist at the Children's Hospital. And we ended up having a miscarriage after a couple months. And, you know, it's really weird. But back then, you, know, you think about before internet and social media and all this stuff, you know, when you had a miscarriage, it felt like we were the only person that that had ever happened to. So it's pretty tough. And so at that time, uh, the same time, kind of in parallel, Cornell had been born. At the time, he was one of the lowest birth weight babies in the history of the state of Virginia to be born. He was just a little over a pound, addicted to crack cocaine. Uh, He had a sister that was a little bit bigger and um, ended up 
being able to go home, but he spent six months in the neonatal intensive care on a ventilator and G tube and, you know, trach, the whole deal. And then was moved to a unit called the transitional care pavilion, which was a vent dependent unit that my wife worked on. And so right around the time that he moved to that unit, we had the miscarriage and you have to understand the kids in those unit on, those, on that unit were almost hospice. Most of them didn't leave. They certainly, you know, don't have a lot of chance to do, you know, walk or talk or do any of those things. And Kim kind of took a shining to him and um, would talk about, she was constantly talking about him and about a year old, he started taking breaths over his vent, which he shouldn't do. Uh, and at that point he was going to get moved to a, a, a home for profoundly retarded children, um, which she was upset about because she just thought he was more functional. And, and anyway, one night at dinner, she's, she's like, you know, telling me all about it. And I didn't really know where it was going. And she goes, you know, I don't really know how to tell you this, but I think maybe the reason all this is happening to us is I think we're supposed to take home Cornell. I think that's what, and I think I said, no, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I think I was a very kind of against it initially. And then, you know, it's just crazy her, um, how amazing she was because she didn't rag me. She kind of grabbed my hand. She said, you know, this is something we'd both have to think about And She never really brought it up. It was maybe six weeks later, we were in a, at church and the priest was talking about listening to God's little voice. And, you know, sometimes the tough path is the right path. And I hadn't been able to stop thinking about him. I was even having dreams about this little boy, black boy on the beach. And, and so I just reached over to her and said, you know, we got to go see about Cornell. And so that's, that's how it started. So we had to, you know, it wasn't like you could just go pick him up. We had to go through two months of training to learn how to take care of his trach and you know, change his trach and change his G tube. And, and so, you know, that, that's what happened on February 2nd, 1994, we still separate or celebrate what we call gotcha day when we bring him home. And, and then the day before we brought him home, we found out we were pregnant with Caitlin. So it went from kind of zero to hero pretty quick. But, you know, what happened, uh, I think that's important to understand is the day that we brought him home, he was 15 months old. The doctor sat us down. They told us he'd never walk or talk, that he'd never make eye contact. He'd probably never really love us. And they disagreed with what we were doing, but they, they, they admired it. And, but, uh, you know, half these kids with trachs die at home and, you know, it's a big responsibility and, and, you know, off we were. And, and I, I remember getting in the car and it was kind of snowing on, on that, that February day in Virginia. And we were driving through the midtown tunnel in Norfolk. And I, I turned back to Kim, I'm driving, she's in the back with a nurse and oxygen and all this crap, you know? And I'm like, what do you think about what the doctor said? And she just goes, they're wrong, you know? And so what transpired after that, about two weeks later, he starts smiling a little bit after that, he starts rolling over starts coming to life. He starts learning sign vocabulary and, and you know, what's happened in spite of all the shit that he's had to endure like every day. Um, you know, those early days, he just had this joy about him that was just inspiring and it just changed us. And so what's happened over 20 years is just about a full recovery. I mean, certainly some learning problems, but you know, he works and he's got a job and he drives and you've met, you know, two of the three of you have met him. Um, just, it's just an unbelievable story. And 
for me, I can promise you, I mean, I've built two very successful businesses in my life and, you know, I was a young guy back then and there was things that happened that changed me in terms of wanting to do better and appreciating my gifts more and not wallowing and not feeling sorry for myself and picking myself up and understanding that there are sometimes the greatest gifts we have are obstacles. So I just had to tell the story. I mean, I lived through this. Um, it's fun. It was fun to do, but it was even more fun to live through it. And I just kind of felt the responsibility to, to tell the story. And then the other side of it, of course, he's African-American. So, you know, being a biracial family in Virginia in the nineties was interesting uh, at times. And so, you know, this chapter we have on race is important for where we are right now, I think. And, and, and after meeting him, um, you know, some of the challenges and, until I had heard about him, you never would have, you never would have known Like you said, he's such a joyous kid and fun to be around. And, um, you know, remember we were playing Bruce Springsteen on the boat. He's, he's dancing around, having a good time. I mean, he's, he's the joy and the happiness that, uh, kind of exudes from him is, is unbelievable. And, um, just a n- incredible, incredible story. So would you call this book a memoir? Would you call it a self-help book? You know, how is it written? you know, from beginning to end. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think initially, you know, I, I, I think I told you it, it started been doing this work, working on this sort of journaling about it for about 10 years. And the reason I also know it would resonate is I, I looked as a, as a dentist, I'm also a, an educator to continue an education. And I looked for ways to kind of connect with dentists at the end of the technical stuff that we do. And so I started to tell this story Primarily because I, I, with, I think dentists and a lot of professional people, when you get good at something, you know, it's that old book, good is the enemy of great. And I just kind of feel like a lot of professional people get to a certain level and they, they stop developing. So I was trying to slap them a little bit and I would tell the story. And so I've been telling the story for 15 years. And what I noticed is when I would run into previous students at, at seminars, they would never ask me about something technical. They'd walk right up to me and say, how's, your, how's Cornell? I mean, they didn't even remember his name. Like, tell me, you know, that and they would tell me how much it inspired him. So, so I knew I had something to tell, but when I, when I first wrote it, it was just a mess. It was just like this whole cathartic look into my life and his life. And, and so what I ended up doing, Pat, is write, writing it as a chronological memoir, but with each story or each chapter um, chronicling an event that occurred that actually occurred that taught me something. And that's how I wrote it. And, and I think that that's why I think, you know, I, I wouldn't call it a self-help book. It's not in that category. It's in the category of memoir, but, you know, I totally think there's 19 chapters and there's 19 principles to learn. To make you better. So you you mentioned that the process, you, you kind of sort of dwelling on it about 10 years ago, but what does the actual writing process look like? For, I mean, I've never written a book in my life, John. I don't know what that looks like. So how long did it take you to it's write br- it's the book? Freaking, it's freaking brutal. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I, I believe it. I can't even describe it. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, originally it was just a matter of trying to get everything down. And at one point I worked with um, kind of a ghostwriter. This goes way back to help me get some of the things in. And I learned a lot actually from that, looking at 
how he structured dialogue and things like that. Like I'd never really written dialogue before. So I learned a lot. So that kind of went back, but um, you know, when we went on the shutdown on COVID, that's when I went through my 200,000 words and just started slashing it. And what I did was I took all the, the, like the events that I liked in chronological order and I just stacked them on top of one another. I just sort of stacked them in order and started planning it out that way. And then it was cut and pasting and adding and, that was really fun. So COVID was ended up being, I don't think I would have done it. It's kind of crazy, but we couldn't practice for eight weeks. I had to do something. So I worked on that. So in your time uh, or since Cornell has joined your family, was there a specific defining moment in your life that completely changed everything for you? Was there a multitude of them? Um, just kind of talk a little bit about that. Some of the defining moments over the time that you've had Cornell and the family. Yeah, there's one big one. And, and I, and I think that, it's the moment that completely changed my life. Um, and it's also the moment that I, it kind of changed from, and again, you have to understand that when we first brought Cornell home, our goal initially was he was foster child. So we were hoping we could get him better. And if the situation got better with his biologic family, maybe they could take care of him because they just were not, they were just not able to handle the technology that he had. So we went through about the first, I don't know, 10 months or so with him at home where he was, you know, learning sign and coming to life and all this stuff. And, and at about 22 months, we took him to the doctor. He had the trach and we thought they were just going to take the trach out. Like they're just going to pull out and he would be able to talk. So we hadn't, couldn't get air over his vocal, vocal cords. So he couldn't make any sound. And so we get there and the ENT tells us that the airway above his tracheostomy site is completely closed off. And so to fix it, he was going to have to go to the OR for about 12 hours and they were going to splice open his trachea and take cartilage from his ribs and graft it in there and then nasally intubate him and keep him asleep for a freaking week. And we're like, what, you know? And so, so they find, so they admit him and basically do that at about 22 months old. And you have to understand he was the funnest, like, even with all the stuff that going on, he was just a hilarious little kid. Um, and bright eyes and just, you know, I just couldn't wait to get home to see him at night. And so when he woke up from his surgery a week later, he just wasn't the same kid. His eyes were dull. He just kind of sat there and we thought maybe he was hurting, but you know, after about a week, still no behavior change. What we didn't know was his, his, his graphs were failing. And we went through about seven weeks where he would get into respiratory distress and struggle to breathe. And we'd have to bag him to get him breathing, and get him back to the hospital. And, you know, so we would just lay there at night and wait, wait for his alarms to go off, you know, to wake us up. And so finally, after seven weeks, the doctors put him in the hospital to keep an eye on him. And, and Kim and I are sort of rotating in and out, taking turns being with him or one of us being home with Caitlin. And on the night of his second birthday, we, we celebrated uh, at, at the hospital there and then Kim left and I was left with him. And so he got into one of these respiratory depression things where he just couldn't catch his breath and he's pulling and see every rib and looking up at the heart rate monitor, it's over 200 beats a minute. And I'm just thinking this kid is not going to make it through the night. I'm in a teaching hospital. All the real doctors are asleep. I'm with residents. So I, about two in the morning, I, um, look to the residents and I can't remember exactly what I said, but I asked them to wake up a real doctor and had an F in there somewhere. So they go running off to get the real doctors up and, and I'm just left with him. And so he's fighting to breathe and holding his hand 
I'm kind of praying and looking at him and he's looking me right in the eyes. And if I'm honest with you, I'm looking down at him and I'm thinking, I, you know, he's been through enough, you know, I'm like, it's time to go be with God. Like the hill's too big. And so I gave him kind of a permission that night to check out. And he took a big breath and let out all his air and shut his eyes. And about eight seconds later, his eyes pop open, fighting even harder. I mean, and I'm looking down at him going, this kid is wired like differently than anything I've ever seen. And so what occurred to me that night, there's two things that happened. The first thing is what occurred to me that night that changed my life. And I've heard you reference it a little bit, Billy, when you went with the 2% stuff that sometimes uh, Terrell posts about. Um, but I was about an 85 percenter. I was a pretty talented person and, you know, could do pretty well. And I was making pretty good money as a dentist. And I was a, kind of applying myself an 85 percent. And I was not really joyous inside. And what occurred to me that night was Cornell, he had to go 100 percent just to freaking live. And that's why he was happy. His joy came from the freaking fight. And, and when he was feeling good, when he wasn't getting messed with and he felt good between the frames, it's like the bad made the joy even more joyous, if that makes any sense. Um, so I changed that night. You know, I, I changed, I won't say I'm a hundred percenter, but I definitely have been a 95, 96%er most of my career. And I want you guys to really understand, particularly the young people listening to this, if you can change that six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent, your life income, like where you are in 30 years, is completely different. It's different in three or four years. And so that was the gift that I got from him. And then the other thing that I learned from him that night was he couldn't even talk to me yet. He could not even speak to me yet. But his behavior told me that this is a all-in person. And so I think sometimes when we're leading people, you know, sometimes we run our mouth and tell people, and we've all had bosses like that, that have these meetings and tell you everything that you are supposed to be doing. And then you watch their behavior and they're not doing any of it. How fun is it to, to, to follow that dude, you know? So Cornell taught me that, you know, it's our actions way more important than our words, but that, that was the night that changed me. It, it, that's the, one of the prime, prime themes in the book is um is just that just just trying to to do better and just understanding that the this life that we've been given there's we don't get to really choose all the things that happen to it but all of it's a gift and we have to understand that and and to to cherish it and work with it accordingly you know that that's an incredible i feel like the three of us are kind of just speechless here hearing about that. And that's an incredibly inspiring story. And, you know, I've known you for almost, I guess, a little over a year now. And I see that 95, 96, 97, I'll even, I'll even give you a hundred. I mean, I see it out of you and uh, it's, it's pretty incredible. So I, I know that's definitely got to be one of the, one of the themes of the story here, but without giving, you know, the entire story away, um, would love to kind of hear about a couple of the themes from this book and the principles that you've learned from Cornell and just take them one at a time. Yeah, I think the first one um, that is a theme and, and that, that, that Grayson can certainly attest to because he texted me about it. But, um, you know, the thing that I 
also marveled with Cornell is when Caitlin was born, she came in about, you know, she was about 20 months younger than him. Um, but we knew that at some point she would catch him and go past him. So we raised them like twins and, you know, a twin stroller. It was kind of a colorful twins, you know? Um, but you know, there were, there was a moment in, uh, where Caitlin was about eight and a half months old. Cornell was maybe two and a half, something like that. And he hadn't walked yet, you know, and we were pulling so hard for him to walk before her. And she, he had crawled across the room and, and crawled up to look through the window. And Caitlin was crawling over to where he was and she popped up and walked right over. You know, as we're both sitting there watching this, Kim and I are watching this and his parents were so happy for her, but we're just like, oh, just hurt our heart a little bit that, you know, we were, it was in our face that this was how it was going to be. And so I'm looking at Cornell for his behavior and he starts clapping so hard. He just fell right over on his back. And that's kind of been his whole life. I mean, both his sisters drove before him, you know, both were able to go to college. There were so many th things that they could do that he just couldn't do. But here's the magic that I learned from him is that comparison is the enemy of contentment. He just does not his compare himself to people. It's unbelievable. And I, I, you know, I'll have a story in my head about how he should be feeling and he just doesn't do it. And it's not because he's not cognitively aware he's there's, and you'll see it all through the book. Um, example after example, where I'm going up to him, worried about him, feeling sad about something that I think he should be sad about that's not happening. And he's like, dude, I'm good. Like I'm on Cornell time. Just, you know, get out of my face. And, and I, and so I, again, I, I feel like that in this world, you know, we're, we're sitting here doing this for social media and, and social media can be wonderful, but I think sometimes like Instagram and particularly, and I'm a dentist. So Instagram dentists are posting all these things constantly about what they're doing and, their work and where they're on vacation and all this kind of stuff. And I think it, it can, you can look at it and it can make you want to do better, which can, is positive, but sometimes it can make people feel bad about where they're at. And, you know, you just have to be happy for people. You know, I mean, there's always going to people be somebody, if you're looking for it, there's always going to be somebody with more. Don't sweat that. Have your own vision, your own goals, your own dreams and then get up every day and, and, and work at it. Um, I think the other thing that, again, along that same lines is, is there's um, a story in there about my stepdad who taught me th three P's in life. And, and I won't tell you when it happened, but he taught me about purpose and having purpose and, you know, goals for things. And then, and when, if you know, you have a good purpose, there's passion for that. But if you have purpose and passion, you have the most important P, which is persistence. And this kid is, it's just, I mean, story after story, again, just ridiculous in, you know, if somebody had to do spend 30 minutes on something, he will do it for an hour and a half to do it as well and smile about it. Like not be bummed about it, just, just wear it out. You know, there's a story about him learning to drive in there. That's one of my favorite stories in the book. Um, <laughs> But I, I think, again, we live in this fast food world that we want everything to come quick and it just doesn't work like that. You have to you have to think and dream and you have to get up and you have to go at it. And then you have to understand that there's going to be some obstacles. And, and I think if they're clear your vision or the clear the purpose and for Cornell, 
you know, his purpose right off the bat was just this insatiable appetite for life just to survive. And so that's in him, right? And what I've tried to do is with my own goals is how do I latch on to my goals with the same level of passion that he had just to live? It's hard today. It's hard today because, you know, as Americans, we're pretty blessed in terms of having most of our basic needs kind of met. And so to really move forward and, you know, reach that 95 to 100% level, I think um, understanding purpose and passion is huge, but it's persistence that the thing that pays off. And then the last one that, that again, um, is all through the book. And this is, again, almost mystical with my son. But this is cr- the crazy thing. But he almost embraces his struggles, um, his obstacles, his deficits as his biggest blessings. It's the most amazing thing. I get emotional talking about it, but um, he just has this way of knowing that when he hits something, that there's something great on the other side. And uh, I think, again, that's something we can learn from. And there's been times in my own life when I've run into things where I've just had to have faith that that would happen if I kept sticking to it and not looking at the obstacle, but looking more past the obstacle of where I was trying to go and then finding ways around it Um, or maybe to a different thing. But those are, I think the three big ones um, without getting too deep, but it's a deep story. So I can't help it. Well, I mean, I, I really, after reading the book, uh, JC, I mean, there are so many incredible stories that simply involve you and Cornell, just you two together. Uh, my personal favorite is the when you were training to do the Ironman. That story is incredible. I'm not going to speak on it because I want people to read it for themselves. But which of the stories that you tell with you and Cornell, just the two of you, is your favorite? Uh, the Ironman, uh, unbelievable. I mean, that was an unbelievable thing for, for me to do. But for him to have you know, for every mile that I rode, he rode along his bike along with me at eight years old, you know, that was, that was unbelievable, special time. Uh, and again, there's things in there that a guy just never would have done that race. It was almost like I was watching him and wanted to test myself. I wanted to test the outer limits and I'd done, you know, short course triathlons all through, um, you know, college and dental school and when I was younger and I, then I'd gotten really fat. So when I hit 40, I was like, okay, I'm going to do something incredible. And that was, that's what I locked in on. Um, that's a good one. And the other one that I think was special was when he needed that, uh, this, that third surgery when he was 13 and I was teaching in, in the, in, uh, in Ireland and we were walking up this hill and what happened was the where they had done the surgery it's like his body had grown but the the surgery site hadn't so his trachea had become an hourglass shape so they're gonna have to cut that little section out and splice the two goods into another major surgery and we wanted him to kind of be um ready and we were playing golf in ireland walking up this big hill and he stopped me he was totally out of breath and we just had this moment there where he had made the decision that he was ready for it and it's hard to describe it, but it was sort of the, the day he became a man in my mind. I mean, that was when he was making some, a really adult decision, but he just goes, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'm ready for that surgery. 
And the other third one was the, and I don't want to spoil that one, but the, the fundraiser for the golf, that was, that's an unbelievable story too. Yeah. My mom was texting me about the golf story uh, after she was reading it. So um, I'll, I can't wait. I Just for the record, Billy Ray and I have not read yet. Grayson has read. Uh, Grayson had the hard copy. Hard copy is waiting for both of us back in New Jersey. On that note though, uh, you know, Look, I'm not, good, I'm, I'm, not not a, I'm not really good at grammar or spelling or reading aloud, but if you need an audiobook guy, I do volunteer. So you do have those services available if you'd like. It'll probably take a little longer, may butcher some words. You do have an expansive vocabulary, but I do volunteer my services as the uh, as the audiobook guy. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, John, do not let that happen. <laughs> <laughs> that is not allowed. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> uh. So uh, on the subject of stories, word on the street is that there are some good hokey stories involved in this book as well. Can you tell us about one of them? Well, actually, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm not going to tell it all, but it, it it's the way I actually finished the book. It's the epilogue. And um, one of the really cool things that that I did for Cornell or that happened was um when uh, Caitlin had just gotten into dental school, she was at Tech. My my oldest daughter and my middle daughter was a sophomore at Tech. And Cornell had gotten really into the football team, like really into it. And, and it was when Matul Pawaka was playing, it was just so funny because Matul Pawaka was short. So from the stands, he thought Matul Pawaka and him were the same size. And for the Cornell, I mean, he was a pounder. So he's a, he's a five foot person. You know, he's a little guy. So he thought Matul Pawaka was five feet. So... So anyway, he loved these 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 Hokies, but he, I could almost feel like he was getting a little bit down. And uh, and again, it's the story in my head. He probably wasn't, but that's what I was thinking. And so on a whim, I wrote uh, Coach Fuente a letter uh, and told him a little bit about Cornell. I actually just sent Coach Fu a book, so I hope he likes it. Um, but I told him a little bit about Cornell and and said, you know, if, you know, I, he's never going to get to go to school, but if he had any chance that he could meet you or the team or any of that, that would be so cool. And I sent it out on a Wednesday and I came back to set the out in the yard doing something on a Saturday. And there was a message on my phone from coach Fu inviting us to a practice. And I, I just, that, so that whole experience of getting and looking behind the veil and how coach was to Cornell and to us and how all the team came over. It was after that, the Duke game, after that torrent, that, that win where it was that torrential downpour. Uh, we were there on a Sunday night and Greg Stroman was on the, he was on the, the, in, in the room getting worked on. And, and he was so nice to Cornell. He talked to Cornell for about 10 minutes. And anyway, it was just an amazing, um, just an amazing experience. But you know, what I, I came away with that night though. And, and I'll just maybe say this is that as I looked at the team, there were some parallels with what I sort of noticed about, you know, what I'm talking about in this book with what I saw with the team. And it just made me realize that the team is so much like life. I mean, you have all these kids from all these different backgrounds and races, and they're all trying to come together and, and, and to some common cause. And, you're going to have some kids that are two stars that have the heart of Cornell that become like a, you know, like a Greg Stroman and make it to the NFL. And you're going to have four stars that have a chip on their shoulder that never quite get there. And, 
And I was looking over at coach and thinking, man, what a tough job, you know, trying to get all this, all this in sync. Um, but we got to do it. And so I hope the team reads the damn book because I, I want, I want to shake every one of those players and go, do you know what Cornell would give to have this freaking opportunity? Like be the 98 percenter man. And, and what could happen if everybody did that, if the whole team went at it? Um, so it's not just for football, it's for all of us too. But, but anyway, that was, that was a really cool day. And, uh, anyway, I, I didn't go to Virginia Tech, but I've written enough checks, so I'm a freaking alumni. That's how I feel about it. <laughs> uh, Coach Fu, if you're listening, you know, it'd be a great Valentine's Day gift for the player. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, like what holidays are coming up? We just had the holiday season. Uh, my last question for you, uh, John, is what does Cornell think of the book? Uh, and what role did he play in the book being written uh, and, and how has he felt about like all the response? Uh, you have, so you have to understand, I mean, I started telling the story so long ago in his life that, you know, if we, if the family goes to a dental meeting, he's kind of a little bit of a rock star. Everybody knows who he is and there's coming up and, you know, we do classes at the facility that we have there in Chesapeake. So all these people have heard the reader's digest version of the story. Um, so I don't think it's really, it's really any different. I mean, I, I think he, uh, he just, he just, you know, he doesn't get too up or down about everything, anything, but, but he knows he's a special dude. And he certainly knows that he is um, inspiring people. And I think it makes him feel great. So, you know, in terms of the, there's a lot of things in the book that he has very little recollection of because you have to understand from his perspective, it was just, him being him, it was me that was in awe, right? I mean, that's that's sort of the difference. And it was Kim and I that were in awe of all this. So lastly, who would you say that this, what's the target audience? What is the target audience? If somebody's picking up this book, who did you write it for? What are you going to get out of it? Um, just kind of hit on that there. Yeah, you know, I think... You know, I think originally I was I was obviously thinking about the dental community because that's who I've been talking to. But as as I started to finish the last round, it's really anybody that wants to be inspired. You know, anybody that likes an up from the ashes story, um, anybody that's pro family. Um, I I just think it's a it's for people that like to read things that that give them inspiration. And you know, I just I just again, I just felt like I had to write, write this. I mean, I feel so blessed that I've been able to live it. And I just felt like I absolutely had to write it. And I would say as, as someone who has read this book, seriously, y'all, I mean, and I'm not, I'm, this is not coming from a biased place. Uh, this book is so inspiring. John is right. If you're family oriented at all, if that's, if you value that, this book is absolutely for you. Uh, and it just, it's very uplifting. Like you read it and you just feel better. You just want to go have a beer with your, your friends or have, call your mom or call your dad. Seriously. Like that is the, the energy and the cadence of this story. Um, and and I, I love it. And one of my favorite quotes from this book, uh, it's something your stepdad said, John. It's, he said, while we can't control what happens to us in life, we can control how we react. 
Uh, and from a personal perspective, I, I think a Cornell story, it actually relates to my mom's dad, my granddad on my mom's side. Uh, he was in a wheelchair for the last nine years of his life. He had a case of double pneumonia. Uh, he was speaking was very, very difficult for him. He could not walk. Um, and, and he easily could have rolled over and, and, and straight up just died and, and called it quits and had a terrible outlook on life, but he didn't do that. Uh, he reacted positively and, and made a decision. He said, I'm going to live every day with a smile on my face until my time on this earth, until I reach the end. And that's what he did. And I see that here in Cornell's story. That's what he does. That's how he lives his life. Uh, and it's just so, it's such a beautiful story and it's so awe-inspiring. Uh, so I, I think people will draw a lot of parallels out of this. I hope so. You know, happiness is a choice. It sounds crazy, but it, 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 it a lot of times is, it comes down to that. Um, but, but anyway, you know, I know you guys are busy and you're off to the beach and like shredding and all the things you're doing now. But I, you know, I, like I say, I, I love you guys and, and I love the positivity you brought to tech and, uh, or bring to tech. And anyway, I, I get so much joy out of living, listening to this podcast. I just kind of felt like the message to the book is a good fit with what you guys do. So, uh, I appreciate you. And I really appreciate you having me on, 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 on that note, this has been, and you top the list. This has been the coolest thing about doing this is just connecting with folks who's, I don't know how our, our paths would, uh, or how our paths would have crossed. See, see the audible thing. I got to work on, I, work on. <laughs> I don't know how our paths would have crossed. And uh, it's, it's been such a blessing to meet you, your family and, and, and hear this incredible story. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, you're a friend, you're one of, you're what you're one of the guys and I really appreciate everything. Sons uh, of smiles, support. baby. Sons of smiles. Sons of smiles. smiles. Sons of smiles. <laughs> and, we, and we love you too, but we're not letting you go yet. Cause we do have. Okay. Our famous lightning round. Oh, uh, I get to be in the lightning. I didn't you know. Get to be in the lightning. You know? Wow. We're sharing our screen, but don't peek. This is. I have two screens, so I don't look over just look there. At, just look at Pat and my and Grayson's beautiful smiles. Just <laughs> your eyes there. The lightning round is brought to you by the Hub in Blacksburg, an absolutely new living experience. If you want to live in the best place you can possibly live in, the Hub Blacksburg, look no further. JC. What is your favorite family outing? It's a Wednesday. You got off of work. Uh, you know, you're like, where are we going? Are we going Outback tonight? Which I know Pat's not a huge fan of Outback. I've never I been. Am. Well, you need to go. What is the family outing of the Cranham family? Sp- Putting a little gnar butter on the shred bread. <laughs> really? That's what I'm talking about, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Wakeboarding, wake surfing. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Wakeboarding, wake surfing. That's my thing for sure. Can you throw a tantrum? Do you know what that means? Can you throw a tantrum? No, I mean, I'm too old. I'm too old for that. It's, a, it's when you do a backflip over the wake. I know. I <laughs> I had beacons when I bought that boat, and then I realized I was 50 and 52 when I got it. I'm like, eh, probably, probably not a good idea. So I just love being out there. I love being out there with my family, and I love the surfing because I you can splash. You don't crash, which is my speed right now. I'm almost 60. So. But I love that. Yeah, I just love being out there with my family. I need to, when I'm home in the summer, I, I got to get out there. We'll, we'll spread the coming. If you don't come to the lake this summer, I'm going to be so upset with you. Uh, we got to, it, man. There has to be a weight limit on the wakeboard, is there? 
Are you calling me fat? No, uh, I'm talking about you. <laughs> I got a big board for you, brother. I got a, got a big board. Okay. I, I got a I got a brother-in-law that's almost your size. Okay. Uh, and you're I all skinny, you. Bill, now. So come on. Uh, yeah, I, that's I'm right. Spread it out here on the mountain. I don't know. I've lo- I've lost a good uh, I've lo- lost a good bit of rolls. I was looking in the mirror yesterday. I was like, whoa, who is that guy? <laughs> you look You turn sideways. You look like a zipper. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. <laughs> Hardest thing about the dentistry profession? Uh, gosh, I love it so much, man. I love I love doing what I do. Um, I think if there's anything, it's just um, you were just doing procedures all day long, you know. So we get in there, and it's not like a physician. Often, there's a lot of things are. They're doing diagnostics and talking and we're pretty much got our, we're locked in for seven or eight hours. I love that part of it. But as you get older, it's, 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 you know, it's taxing. Like I watch my daughter now as she's, as she is, um, you know, getting, doing more patients and dental school, you just sort of do one in the morning and one in the afternoon. And she's smoked at the end of the day. So she's learning, she's getting her stamina up. Follow up, follow up question to that. Who has the most cavities in the Cranham family? Uh, there, it's not even close and, and there's no active cavities, but let's say fillings or restorations, right? Because sure. I wouldn't let anybody have an active cavity in my house, but not at there, all. Is, uh, there are four of us that have no cavities, never have had a filling. And there's one of us that have had some stuff. And the one that unfortunately is my wife who didn't. Oh, Kim, <laughs> come so on. My, my kids got my genes. Even, even Cornell got my <laughs> My jeans. I don't know how, but anyway, yeah. So I've got veneers. So I've had my teeth worked on, but I've never had a filling. So it's crazy. Favorite Blacksburg bar or restaurant? Hmm. I I love Sharkies. Yeah, you do. I love yeah, Sharkies. You do. Yeah. yeah, I've got cups. I got sons cups from Sharkies. <laughs> <laughs> no. And you didn't pay me to say that. I, that's the one I, I like their wings. I, like the, I don't have anything like to pay you. So just being honest. <laughs> um, who is your favorite former and current Hokey across all sports? Oh man. It's tough. Um, I, I love uh, Tremaine. I, I just <laughs> love watching Tremaine. I just think, uh, he again was really super nice to Cornell on that day. Both him and the other one was Timmy. Timmy Settle was hilarious with Cornell. Cornell was standing next to Tim, and he goes, uh, he's, "He's looking up whatever." And he goes, "It was it was Terrell, Tim Settle, and Mutua Pawaka." So the first thing is Cornell shocked that he's not the same size as Mutua Pawaka. You like shock how big Mutua is, and then we're sitting next to Tim Settle, and he looks at Timmy and he goes, "My dad did the math and." And you're like three or four times bigger than me. And Timmy goes, I'm three or four times bigger than a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) So that was great. Uh, So I, you know, Timmy and, and, and Tremaine, I love those two guys. Um, And right now, Trey, I just think Trey, big play Trey. I just think he's a cool dude. And um, I just want him to have a huge season and be healthy and, and have a great year this year. Absolutely. And what is your favorite hokey moment since you've uh, started following along? What's what's been your favorite Virginia Tech moment? Probably two. There's two. I was at both of them. Um, the second half of the Belk Bowl when we came back, that was just 
unbelievable. And funny story about that too, because we were getting trounced at the half and I, I sitting there in the stands and I look over and, and at halftime and Cornell's literally praying like I, so I, I think he's responsible for the win because he has the direct <laughs> line to God. I mean, he was over there freaking on his knees praying about, you know, and we come back. And so I think he had something to do with that win. That's the Cornell and, effect right there. Yeah, Cornell the Cornell effect. Effect. And then the other one um, we were, it's really cool was um, UVA three years ago. Uh, so it's cold. God, it was a cold night, but uh, Kristen was still in school and she snuck us into the student section. So I've seen some videos. Yeah, we were, we were like we were like in the, you know, 15th row or something in the student section. And so that that happened. You know, remember, he was coming. He was ready to score right in front of us or at least get a first down right in front of us. And so when that ha- when that when that happened, it was just Unbelievable. And the best part about it was there were these like six, they were the most obnoxious UVA students I think I've ever seen in my life that had snuck into there that were like heckling everybody. And just, and so the funniest thing was when the fumble happened, I don't know how those guys got out of there alive because the whole (laughs) student section like swarmed around those guys. And anyway, that was really, that was just, that was the moment that we thought it was going to come to the end. Right. I mean, we were just sitting there and I was just, I wasn't going to leave. I was going to support the team, but I just thought this is the year that it ends. And just in a second, it was, uh, it was pandemonium. That was really fun. So this is, oh, and, and I got one more. And then, and, and then UNC last year was, I was freaking crazy too. Did we but, meet, did we meet that game or the Pittsburgh game? Pittsburgh. Pit, yeah, it's that would have been sick, Billy. Sick, Billy. I was not feeling very well. I know. <laughs> um, so this is a little self-reflection. I'm excited to hear your answer. What is your favorite interview that, aside from yourself, can't nominate yourself? What is your favorite interview that we have ran since the Sons of Saturday have been around? I really like the laser ones. It cracks me up when you guys do the laserisms. I like. Uh-huh. I can't. Uh-huh. I can't. Uh-huh. I can't be driving. I mean, I've, I'm driving again. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> I really like the Plaid Avenger too. That one was great. Like, yeah. And I, my secret goal was to be better than him. Cause I thought that was a good interview. Uh, <laughs> and then the, um, Homer, probably like with just the three of you guys, um, I really liked the reflection after the, the UNC one, when, you were talking about the Smirnoff ices coming. I mean, that was just hilarious. That, because that was, a, that was, that was like such that a was joyous. A that was podcast. such a joyous win. That was such a joyous win, and the description of it, and you know, Quincy Patterson running. I mean, the whole thing. That was just. That was just a great night. That, that was, was a marathon. Yeah, that was a marathon of an episode. That, that was, was the awesome um, for like four days after that. <laughs> that was the best Monday at work and school and whatever in the history ever what was ever. crazy about that too what people don't know is that it's already like i think it's like two hours and 17 minutes or so we actually recorded like 45 minutes or like an hour and then midway through i'm like guys we're kind of all over the place we're probably going to be all over the place again let's just start over so there's an hour and then we started all over again and did another two hours and 17 minutes but um yeah it it, it, it doesn't get it's crazy because it's a you're what what were we a three and a three and four football team at that time or a four and three football team and it was yeah. like we had just won the national championship honestly it no. was unbelievable 
Well, and, and the other thing that was amazing about it was we thought we had the answer with Hendon Hooker, and then the next thing you know, he's gone, you know, mm-hmm. and so three quarterbacks playing. I mean, it was – but the other thing I like about it, I listened to this one. I, I can't I, – I'm embarrassed to say it, but I probably listened to that one 10 times or something because it, <laughs> it gets me halfway to Smith Mountain Lake. So when I leave, I can put that on and I'm halfway to Smith Mountain Lake and I kind of laugh the whole way. And I, don't <laughs> I mean, it's just like <laughs> – we're like the new hokey tapes. Like hokey tapes is gone. You can't yeah. watch old games, but you can always re-listen to a Suns episode yeah. and hear the about truth. the raw emotion and the game day experience. Um, so hopefully we'll be able to have similar uh, 2019 six overtime Carolina experiences yeah, this fall. Totally uh, season ticket renewals March 1st. Hokey clubs, <laughs> hokey scholarship funds donations March 31st. Got the email today. Let's just all hope for spring practice. Let's just. Let's yep. let them practice. We need, we need it. One step at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll put you in the front row at Live at the Lyric. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> last uh, last rapid-fire question here. Who drives farther off the tee, you or Cornell? I can hit it further, but I am not even remotely in the same like hemisphere as he is. He, he hits it 200 yards straight down the middle every time, and I'm all – you know, I. I might hit it 250, but 230, but I'm, I just can't, I just have, anyway, just try it. It's really annoying because I'm so much longer than him and he just wears me out. So, so it's just one of those things. Where's the place you guys like to play around Smith Fountain Lake? So we, we just, we're, we've been members at Ballyhack. That's a great, that's a great track. John Sung. Yeah. And, um, and there's some, there's some fun courses around there. Uh, Westlake is a nice one. And, but yeah, around there, there's London Downs, which is on the way in, which is a nice track. Um, but Ballyhack is incredible. That's the spot. Well, this has been unbelievable. So much fun, incredible story. I cannot wait to read. And um, you said it yourself, Sharky's is your favorite restaurant in Blacksburg. <laughs> well, we're going to give you the opportunity to make your very own Sharky shout out here. Uh, you have the floor, anything you got going on, because we know you got something going on right now, but uh, any other shout outs that you'd like to make. And then uh, I want to give a, a, a personal, just quick shout out um, real quick here. My folks, both of my folks got to read the book and they were texting me all week long about different stories. And this is just an incredible story. It's so inspiring. I absolutely love it. So uh, my folks love it. I know Grayson absolutely loved it. Um, so I just wanted to plug that as my Sharky shout out, but uh, Dr. Cran, you have the floor. Yeah. Shout out my wife, Kim. You know, this, a lot of this book is a tribute to her. I mean, her vision and seeing, um, seeing what was possible with this kid is, inspiring and um yeah there just needs to be more people in the world like her and so shout out to kim she's a hell of a wife and a hell of a mom and uh just you know the other side of it is we we bring in these little foster babies these newborn babies foster babies short term for a couple weeks i think and i don't do any of it i mean she's had over 20 of them now and um so shout out to kim i'm shout out to kim you have an incredible family, Mr. Cranham, and an incredible story. Everybody, make sure you get out and check it out, The Cornell Effect. Uh, first time, you got the first one out of the way. This certainly won't be the last time. Thank you for everything uh, you do for us. Thank you for the friendship and, um, you know, unbelievable job. We love you, Mr. Cranham. We love you. Yeah, and sons of hooky. Come on, push record a little bit more now. Come on, back to work. <laughs> 
I'm trying to tell him. You can help. No, you got to keep padding our UNC stats. It's funny because we go back and we look at like who's listening to like what episodes at what time. And every month we're like, Somebody like there's like one or two people who listen to the UNC episode like on the month every month. So I'm glad we finally Might be me. Uh, we know who it is. I'm glad we finally found out. We who know it who it is. <laughs> be well, Mr. Crane. Thank you so All right, much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ryan.